Do I lower this down? I'm not as tall as my f- <laughs> fellow brothers. <coughs> I'm short, yeah. One second. <laughs> Vertically challenged. Is that that's still too high? Oh my word, I'm, I'm that short, am I? Okay, so excuse me whilst I do this. That's what I've heard, that's what I've heard. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you, Andrew, for leading us so helpfully. <coughs> yeah, we find ourselves looking at peaches this month. Whole life discipleships. Andrew so helpfully last week led us into the introduction of what it means and what it, what it could mean to consider whole life discipleship. So <coughs> he got us thinking about this whole life discipleship and that it is the main concern of the church and how we as a church, if we actually start stop to ask questions about ourselves and begin thinking about the implication and how it applies to our life here, it may result in a very different-looking church. Well, Jesus is the model par excellence, isn't he, in showing what it means to make whole-life disciples. How he advertised life-changing talks he was about to hold every Wednesday evening and the coffee and the cold buffet for to, put, uh, to put on after the, the talk so that the centurions could come in. Because they wouldn't do otherwise, they'll be out of work and be hungry. You see, he put a lot of time and trouble in, didn't he, to staging that special Sabbath service. Doing the, all that he could to make it accessible to the prostitutes and the tax collectors. Well, you don't have to read too much of the gospel to realize that isn't how Jesus did it. He went out to the people. He may have ruffled a few feathers preaching in the temple courts a few times, but he certainly didn't send out invitations. Jesus went out to make disciples. In real-life situations, fishermen and tax collectors, whilst they worked. So and there's this whole life discipleship model, making model that we as a church are to embrace and follow. Andrew also mentioned there are two fundamental or foundational truths for which without discipleship or disciple-making would die a death. And he took us to the end of Matthew's Gospel where we'll keep referring to today as well. It says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. See, the commission to go and make disciples is sandwiched between these two important foundational truths. Number one, Jesus has all authority. And the second one is that he is with us always, all of the day. And today we'll be looking at why the first point is so crucial, that Jesus has authority. Well, Jesus is Lord is a phrase that we can so easily trip off our tongues. A phrase that can become all too familiar and make quite ordinary in our everyday speech. But you have your Bibles with you because we've already looked at them. But please, in the new, uh, if we turn back to Daniel 7... Daniel 7, page 893 in your church Bibles. 893, Daniel 7. See, Daniel 7 
uh, to the first reader can seem a little bit weird, a little bit odd, because it's apocalyptic in writing. That's a big word. But essentially, it just means a revealing, a pulling back of the curtains so that we can see the truth which is going on in the heaven, heavenly reality. And so, let detail wash over you in this as we read. But just get an impression, for that's what it's meant to give us, an impression of what it's like. I'm going to read from verse 13. In my vision, that is Daniel's vision, at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Oh. It's an amazing verse, and especially if you at the broader context, if you start reading around before that in verses 6 and, and 7, you'll see that his kingdom comes in, in the context of other earthly kings. Kings uh, represented by gold and silver and iron. Yet Jesus is represented in these verses as a stone which comes and smashes even the greatest powers of earth to bits. You see, what Daniel hasn't seen in his vision as what has just come before. See, by Jesus' life and crucifixion and his resurrection, he glorified the Father. You see, in his body, he proclaimed the glorious grace of God to sinners like us. You see, he smashed and defeated the power of sin, Satan and death, and it is, it is as a conquering king he is delivered up to the presence of the Father. And it is that is where he receives his eternal reward, that universal authority. Now, if we just think about that, that he received his authority when he was raised to life and ascended to his father's side, what does that mean about Jesus when he walked on earth? Well, the fact is he was not any less authoritative whilst he was on earth. What he spoke and said carried just as much weight but it's now the scope of his authority. Now, not because the, it's the Father's, because the Father has given it to Jesus. It's as if he's given Jesus the reins over everything. And by authority, we mean the right and the power to do, uh, to do something. And in Jesus, his jurisdiction is boundless, and his power is without limit. Yet Jesus doesn't wield his authority like an abusive dictator. You only need to look what he has done. You see, Jesus is full of love and grace, shown by how he came and gave his life for the likes of us. It's a quite a different authority than the authorities of the earth with their own hidden agendas. And yet their authority is limited as well. But Jesus' authority is full and complete. 
true and universal authority, the Lord Jesus. Wow. Do we believe that? Do we actually believe that he has all authority in heaven and on earth? You know, we only need to look out of today and just consider the world that we're in or switch on the news. Sometimes, well, I say sometimes, you know, all the time, to me, it looks like there is a little bit less authority going on than what is descri- uh, described in these passages. Is Jesus in control? Does he have authority over North Korea, for example? Because I look at North Korea and I get worried. But if I know that Jesus has all authority, I shouldn't be. Well, it can cause us to doubt. And it affects our lives and how we live them. But there is an explanation. You see, to have all authority in heaven and earth is not quite the same as being king of a kingdom though he is. See, a kingdom is where the king's rule happens and the king has citizens. It's where his rule translates into loyal subjects. That is where Jesus' kingdom is. And so there is a distinction between where his kingdom is and universal authority that Jesus has over earth and heaven. And see, understanding this like, subtle distinction really helps us answer what can sometimes be a really significant issue for us as Christians and for unbelievers. Where we doubt Jesus' authority because of the state and the freedom that is enjoyed by evil leaders, we have a truth which, which super, uh, surpasses all that See, the accusation that Jesus is not Lord of all is not, is, is not new. We're warned that there'll be scoffers, and it's up to us if we lift, listen to them. 2 Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 3 says this, Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, Where is he, this coming, he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, and their reason is, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. They see nothing different in the world either. And so therefore they draw the conclusion that Jesus hasn't got all all authority. And they mock him, and they live their lives according to their own evil desires. That's the difference it makes. They're expecting to see his kingdom. That's the problem. They're expected to see loyal subjects everywhere and everything perfect. You see, Jesus, before Pontius Pilate, before he was crucified, he said that this kingdom is not of this world. So when we look outside and at the news, what are we to expect? Jesus' rule in perfectness? Now that's to come. His kingdom is here and it is growing. It is where we find loyal subjects. And I pray that there are loyal subjects here this morning. But his authority, it's all of heaven and all of earth. It's universal. He may not be worshipped as a king at the moment by everyone. But yet nothing, nothing happens except through him and by his will. 
That's the truth. That is the universal truth that's been given to us. You see, the, the disciples were amazed. When, they, when, they, uh, when they're in the rough boat and Jesus says, oh, be still to the wind and the waves. Whoa. Okay, we can start to see his authority is, is stretching beyond what we can normally expect. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. We just need to dwell upon that chapter in, in, in Daniel 7 just to start to feel the weight and glory of his authority. See, his kingdom is growing. But Jesus' authority is absolute. So what has this got to do with making disciples? We're looking at verse uh, uh, chapter 28, aren't we, of Matthew's Gospel. You see, Matthew says in, uh, in uh, chapter 28, All authority in heaven... And on earth has been given to me. The universal authority of Jesus Christ. And he connects that with disciple making by saying, Therefore go and make disciples. You see, he doesn't issue a command. He doesn't say, do this, because I say so. But on the basis of the reality. He makes what is the only reasonable request. It's reasonable because it's the most loving thing to do. You see, if Jesus is Lord of all, everything and everyone is answerable to him. He has the authority to pass judgment and to condemn people and those who reject him. But he also has the power and authority to forgive and pardon anyone from any, any place at any time. So it's not only a reasonable request to go and make disciples because he is Lord, but it is the reason. You see, the Lordship of Jesus is at the very heart of why he came, of why he came to die for us. Romans 14, Paul writes, For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. You see, it's a central message to the Bible. It has always been the plan of creation for Jesus to be Lord of all. So if the Lordship of Jesus is at the beginning and it is at the end of all things, then making disciples surely has to be the main job of the church. It's the only reasonable conclusion we can draw from it. It is the commission that Jesus gave to us. So, Jesus' authority, go and make disciples. But we need to be clear what disciples are, or what our understanding is, if we're to do this. There's a Greek word which I looked up, and I even looked at the pronunciation. Mathetes. From that word, we get the word disciple. And generally, it's referred to a student or a pupil. An adherent to someone. And it's most often associated with people following or de being devoted followers. So you can be a disciple of many things. Yet a true disciple of Jesus are saved disciples. True disciples recognize and respond to the sacrifice that the Lord Jesus gave. And they recognize and respond to the Lordship of Jesus. 
See, neither of these can save alone. Like love and marriage, and a horse and carriage. You can't have one without the other. You cannot be saved by the Lord Jesus and not claim him to be Lord. You can't claim him to be Lord without being saved by Jesus. In Romans 10, it, it, it confirms this. If, it's, if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The two sides. Lordship and accepted sacrifice. However, discipleship is not strictly about receiving Jesus' lordship, but more about giving up of oneself to him. You see, it's not about inviting Jesus into my life, but of relinquishing it. Because Jesus, as we have read together, is Lord of everything, of heaven and earth. He's already Lord. So we don't make him Lord by inviting him in. We recognize and relinquish ourselves. You see, it means that discipleship is about surrendering our own will to his. It means that what he says takes precedence over what I say. You see, we can't, we can't follow if we're not prepared to be led by him. See, Jesus defines a disciple in this way in Luke 14. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Disciples are cross-bearers. It says for us to take up our crosses. And that's not mean that we drag around large chunks of wood every day around our, on our shoulders. Neither is it to say that we should be guilty all day and realize the weight and burden of our sin because we've been liberated from that. It means to die to oneself. It's to put our dreams and our hopes secondary before the Lord Jesus. Also means, uh, discipleship also means obedience. In, again, in Luke, in chapter 6, he, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? We need to follow him as Lord. Do what he says. Submit our will to his. And the thing is, if we're to go and make disciples, it's only uh, reasonable, therefore, to say that it, well, it, makes, it takes disciples to go and make disciples. You know, how can we expect others to follow Jesus when we're not prepared to do that ourselves? You know, if our message is that Jesus is Lord, but we live our lives as though this was untrue, firstly, we won't go and make disciples. What would be the point? What would be the motivation? If I don't really truly believe that Jesus is Lord, well, I can sit at home and watch Sherlock on a Sunday night. Secondly, even if we did manage to share the good news about Jesus, that he died for you, we, by the way that we live our lives, would undermine that message or confuse it at best. Because concerning salvation... Jesus' lordship is just as necessary as his death on the cross. You can't have one without the other. And a little bit in the same vein as uh, Andrew has demonstrated with the, with the orange. Just imagine your life as a house with various rooms of which you have the keys to. And they're locked. 
Now, to be a disciple, therefore, is to have all doors unlocked and the keys firmly into Jesus' hands. But does that cause any anxiety amongst us? To think about, if my life is a house and I've got all this junk room in my house, am I prepared to say, yes, Jesus, have the keys? I am anxious when I consider that. It's a scary thought. Yet Jesus is not a hotel inspector. He is not going to condemn us, but he is a cleaner. Come to tidy that which is rubbish and to make us his disciples. See, we're sorely tempted to lock the doors, aren't we? We fear it can be too painful an exercise or too much of a compromise. But if discipleship is about submission to the Lord and we are instructed to make disciples, then aren't we who are disciples meant to help one another to keep those doors unlocked? If submission to Jesus means keeping the doors unlocked, then I want as much help for people to keep those doors unlocked for him. Because I know on my own, I am going to start closing them and locking them. Because as Andrew said, he can appear good at some points, but that's only because he's hiding away the mess that he is. And I am too, Andrew, don't worry. We need one another. Disciples making disciples. You see... When you hand the keys over to God or to Jesus, you're actually saying, I'm not a house. I'm not a guest house where I am the owner. But you actually become a temple. Jesus is home. That's what you become. You're no longer your own, but you're the house for where Jesus lives. Jesus is Lord of your life. Therefore, it's right that he has the deeds and the keys and access to everywhere. Well, what does a life look like when Jesus is a Lord and not a guest? In other words, what does a whole life disciple, someone who isn't segmented up like an orange, but like a peach, nice and whole, maybe some, some a bit harder than others. But, uh, well, under, understanding Jesus' lordship understand, um, helps us to put into context the rest of our lives what we should be doing, how we should be doing it, and why we should be doing it. It should shape and affect every part of our lives. Yet when we think about handing the keys over to Jesus, it's not that we're handing it over to a puppeteer who's going to pull the strings and confine you and tell you to do things which are bad because he is loving and gracious. He is a king and lord who will ask you to do things which are good. And as I said, that if you give the keys over to Jesus, you become the temple, that house where, the God, where God lives. And in 2 Corinthians, it speaks of this as well. It says in 2 Corinthians 3, it says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled faces can contemplate the Lord's glory and are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I, see, I think a, an acceptable translation of verse 17 
is now the Lord is spirit. And instead of saying, and where the spirit of the Lord is, you can read it, and where the spirit is Lord, there is freedom. You see, submission to the spirit is the same as submitting to Jesus, because it is Jesus' spirit who comes to reside in you. And it says that you get freedom. There is freedom when that happens. So you can let go of the worries of life, you see. You can let go of the worries of guilt. You're free from sin. You're free from fear. You're free to follow. You have nothing to hide. Those doors are unlocked and you're still accepted. You have no condemnation. That is the good news. That is the freedom that the Spirit gives in our lives. See, the Bible tells us that we need not fear anything, even death itself, because we are the Lord's, and it is he who has all the authority, the supreme right and power to do as he pleases. And it pleases him that we remain in him and live with him. What extraordinary freedom we have been given. See, I must admit, I'm a little bit envious when I see children running around uh, playing about freely, you know, not worrying what's for tea, or how on earth they're going to get the grass stain out of their trousers. That don't concern little children, by the way. Or where they're going to go this afternoon, or even how on earth they're going to get there. I'm envious because of their freedom. They're not burdened with the worries of the world. Their parents give them liberty to do the stuff without fear of what may happen to them. And so in a similar sense, this is what happens when we accept Jesus as our Lord. We cannot lose our lives if they're not ours to lose. If we have given him the keys of our house over to him, he converts it to his home. Yet this liberty is freedom to live for Christ. That is, his lordship not only brings freedom, but brings us into his service. And it's a service like none other. It's a service of privilege and joy and adventure. You see, we are called to live as ambassadors, representing the Lord here on earth. You see, and we do so by submitting and living our lives and submitting it to the Lord. And it may cost may mean that our lives might not turn out as we had hoped. They might not be great successes. That's if if you measure success by jobs, uh, position, privileges, possessions, and even peacefulness. What about that for a bit of alliteration? But there's a serious point. If we measure success by those, then we probably won't be that much of a success. Remember that we must take up our cross daily to deny ourselves our own dreams and plans. Yet this is only a small sacrifice compared to what is promised to those who confess with their lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead. Now the Lord is the Spirit and where the Spirit is Lord, there is freedom. And so to enjoy this freedom, we must do what Jesus says. By definition, he isn't Lord if we don't. And that means applying the teaching that we receive from him and putting it into practice in the day-to-day and the moment-by-moment. 
And so when we consider that, we may have to rethink and be challenged about how we approach issues and the ordinary patterns of our life. If we are to take the primary command of going and making disciples, how will that, for example, affect where we shop, how much we spend when we go to bed, our plans for Christmas? Do we settle into patterns of our lives that are convenient for us and serves our own needs? And are we too involved in our own lives to recognize that the places and the people that we come to meet and know already is a disciple-making arena? It is, it is correct to say that God is interested in our day-to-day. Yet it's more than that. You see, he is interested in our lives that are actually his. He is interested in how we use the lives he has purchased Lives that purchased at a great cost to himself. Well, I want to say that decisions in our lives can become much clearer when we submit to Jesus' rule and authority. When we stop struggling to try and somehow shoehorn in our own will and desires into our lives. Coming up with excuses to justify why we aren't following him. Whether it's because we're too afraid to do what he says, or that it may mean giving up too much. Giving up too much of something which I love greater than Jesus. It's a scary thought, giving your life to Jesus. And I mean, your day-to-day, moment-by-moment life, it's very scary. But I'm not talking about a nightmarish kind of scary. But an exhilarating, thrilling kind of scary The kind when you get when the safety bars come down over your head as you sit in the carriage on that roller coaster where your stomach starts to tighten up. You don't know how life is going to work itself out. Yet you know that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. And you can guarantee the outcome. It's like going into a poker game. Yet, uh, and, and going all in. Shoving all your chips in. Yet though you risk losing everything on the table. Unlike gambling, you are happy. You are happy that you can only lose that which you can't take with you. But it means that you will win everything that really counts in this life and the life to come. See, the commission to make, Jesus, uh, to make disciples should make our hearts pump harder. Because when we consider uh, what life is and what we should be doing with it, or could be like in the hands of the one who has all authority in heaven and earth, wow, I start to wonder and get excited by Jesus' all authority and lordship. See, just this week, I spoke to uh, and had a little conversation with an evangelist. And he said how... How he uh, uh, met this guy, uh, a really tough guy with some like tattoos on his neck and things like that. A guy which you'd think would never come to, uh, come to faith in Jesus. Yet he did. He explained to him as Jesus' authority actually. That he is like the brigadier because this guy was from the forces. And he understood what it meant to be, submit to the brigadier. And he says, oh, I can do that. I can do that. Now, the evangelist's mouth, I don't think actually physically dropped, but inside he said he was shocked. He was shocked that this had happened. But he himself confessed that he just loses sight 
of knowing that Jesus is Lord of everything. His expectation was around about there. And he says that when he goes around preaching, there's a lot of people who aren't Christians who do not believe that Jesus is Lord. They go around and they see him, the evangelist, and they move and they go away because they know something will happen. And they don't want something to happen, so they go. Yet unbelievers think something is going to happen, but this evangelist self-confessed said, I wasn't quite sure anything would happen. They grasped something a bit more about Jesus' authority than maybe he did that week. Well, let us have great expectations. If he has authority, the right and the power to do what he wills, well, let's start to dream. Let's start to consider his plans and his will and walk in line with them. You see, it starts with handing over the keys to Jesus, unlocking the doors to the rooms in our lives that we have kept him out of, submitting to his teaching and the commands, and allowing him to shape and conform every, every part of our lives in light of the great commission to go and make disciples. It starts by helping one another. We can't do it alone. I would shut doors if left on my own devices. But I need the likes of you to help me and say, Dan, no. Give me the keys and I'll hand them over to Jesus. Do it that way. I don't mind. Anyway, but our lives need to be open to him. We need to encourage, don't we, one another and teach one another to submit to him. And it starts by listening to the Spirit. The Spirit is Lord and he guides and convicts us. That's what it means. If that truth is real, that Jesus is Lord of all, of heaven and earth, that this is the only reasonable response, that we are to be disciples and to make disciples. Jesus is Lord of everything. His authority extends everywhere. Nothing is outside of his control. He has the right and power to do what he wills. Therefore, reverently fear him and consider your life before him. If you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I'm going to um, just pray now, but um, I have a final song. And if you feel that God has been speaking to you as we've considered his lordship. Now this doesn't mean that you have to be an unbeliever. This might mean you're a Christian and you feel that your life has not been exactly in submission to God. You know that you have doors locked and you feel guilt and shame because of that. Well then tell someone and we'll be praying with you. There's going to be a few people who are going to make their way to the back. Okay? And you can go to them and pray with them. Yet if you find that too hard, make sure you do not do it on your own. Tell someone. They will pray with you. But if you aren't a follower of Jesus, consider his authority. Should you reverently fear him? Should you listen to the truth that he has the power to judge and save? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning and for the understanding that you are and have all authority in heaven and earth. Lord, help us to submit our life to you, we pray. Amen. What's the final sign?